Welcome. You're about to listen to a teaching of the Foursquare Gospel Church, VGC District. At Foursquare, we believe in the transformation of communities through the multiplication of disciples, leaders, churches, and movements. May your hearts be blessed and transformed as you listen. The Lord, let me, I want to thank the pastor, Pastor Oken, for this opportunity to come and share fellowship with you and also thank your leaders for inviting me. I am grateful and I've looked forward to my time or to when I'll be able to have time to share fellowship with you all. Let me start by saying Happy New Year to you. And I pray that this indeed will be your year of supernatural miracles in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I'll just um, share a few thoughts with you on what I have tagged miracles. Our theme for the year is supernatural miracles. And I just want to talk and share with us on miracles. Our passage of focus is Second Kings. If you have the time, maybe after service, just read through the entire chapter, Second Kings chapter 3. But time won't allow us to read through everything, so I'm going to pick just a few um, verses. I'll read, and then in, co- in the course of the message, I'll make copious references to other parts of that chapter. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Second Kings chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 9 through to 20. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 9 through to 20, and I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom after a roundabout march of seven days the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them verse 10 what exclaimed the king of Israel has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father, And the prophets of your mother, no, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together 
to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. But now, bring me a harpies. While the harpies was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, well, I just want to thank God for our team for this year, which is Supernatural Miracles. And we're also adopting that as our team for the month. I thank God because this will naturally create some expectations in us. But more importantly, I'm grateful to God because I know that um, this will also lead to an increased devotion to God. Because I know that by His grace, as we have expectation for miracles. You and I know very well, and like I shared, I think during the crossover night, that the key to the future, as we look into 2022, as we look up to God for Him to do supernatural things in our lives, is for us to remain devoted to Him. Is for us to prioritize our devotion to God. And that's why I'm excited about this team. Because people, it will create expectations naturally. But you and I know that for these expectations to be met, you need a close walk with God. And I pray that the Lord will bring that to pass in your life in Jesus' name. That the Lord will help us as we, as we build devotion with Him, as we become closer to him that in our daily lives, in our Christian lives, that the Lord will help us to experience him the more, both as individuals, as a youth church, and even corporately, largely as um, the VGC church. God will help us in Jesus' name. Now, let me start by attempting to define or describe what a miracle is. 
And why am I doing this? I'm doing this because, you know, we talk a lot about miracles these days. And people want miracles. People desire miracles. People go to all kinds of places for miracles. And whatever they get from some of those places, they hold on to as miracles. But I think it's important for us to have an understanding of what is a miracle from a biblical perspective. But before we begin to even zero in on the biblical description of miracle, I, I, I took time to look at you know, the dictionaries. At least let's begin to move from the known and then we get to some other areas that are less known to us. And the first place I looked at was to look at Webster. Look at that dictionary. You know, some of these dictionaries, what do they really say about miracles? You know? And, and it's interesting to see, you know, some of my discoveries. Webster says a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Divine is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention. Then I looked at Oxford languages. And Oxford languages says an extraordinary welcome event that is not explicable in natural scientific laws and is therefore attributed to a divine agency. And then I went to dictionary.com. And dictionary.com tells me that a miracle is an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Such an effect or event manifesting or considered as a work of God. It's interesting because dictionary.com is the very first one of those that I checked that made specific reference to God with a capital G. And then I looked at Cambridge, and Cambridge Dictionary says, an unusual and mysterious event that is thought to have been caused by a God with a small g because it does not follow the usual laws of nature. And then Britannical.com says, miracle, extraordinary and astonishing happening that is attributed to the presence and action of an ultimate or divine power. Then I moved towards the Bible. And then I looked at Baker Illustrated Bible Dictionary to see what it says from a biblical context. And it says, it describes miracle by saying that it's God in his infinite wisdom sometimes does unusual and extraordinary things to call attention to himself and his activities. And then it goes further to say, miracles are divinely ordained acts of God 
that dramatically alert us to the presence of his glory and power and advance his saving purposes in redemptive history. And I find that very helpful and instructive. I find it very helpful and instructive because it tells me that it starts by saying miracle is about God, it's an act of God, it's something, it says God in his infinite wisdom, God in his infinite wisdom, you know, um, sometimes does unusual and extraordinary things, you know, to call attention to himself and his activities. So it's about God. It's about himself. And, and that's very, very helpful for me. So what it means is miracle is not a clever conjuring tricks. Involving some kind of deception that can otherwise be explained on a purely scientific basis. So miracle is not when somebody does some tricks or tries to conjure something like we see today. Some people in trying to impress other people, in trying to show that, oh, they can perform miracles, then try to conjure things or play some tricks and call it tricks, and call, and call them miracles. We need to understand what a real miracle is so that we don't get carried away. Because some people, including even some pastors, because there's so much pressure on them for miracle, and the people go around keep putting pressure on them, some who don't understand the full import of their calling, or some who are into their pastoral call for some material motives and purposes, do all kinds of things in order to present the picture of miracle. But it's very important for us to know that a miracle is by who? By God. That a miracle is an act of God. It's an act of God. And that it is done in his infinite wisdom and discretion. It is done in his infinite wisdom and discretion. It's very important for us to bear this in mind. You need to understand that God has a discretion in this. So it's not something that you stand up or you see and you start commanding God. He has a discretion. And he does it in his infinite wisdom. He does it in his infinite wisdom. And in the course of this um, sharing, I, I would make, I, I'll point to some things that will help us put this in the proper context. So he does it in his infinite wisdom and discretion. Usually, it is unusual and it is extraordinary. They go against the normal or the natural trend and bear this in mind 
Miracles are designed to call attention to who? To God. Not to you. Not even to the act. But to God Almighty. They are designed to call attention to God and his activities. So when you see an act, and that's why when you become a beneficiary of God's miraculous act, it's important that you don't take glory. But you make sure that the glory is redirected to who? To God Almighty. So having said this, let me move into the context of our text now, which is 2 Kings chapter 3. Now, the, the, the setting here and what led to the events of um, 2 Kings chapter 3 is when Ahab was the king of Israel, he had established control over Moab. And because of that, Moab, the king of Moab would pay taxes to the king of Israel, Ahab. And he did that. Then when Ahab died and his son took over as king, the king of Moab took liberty and decided to revolt and stopped remitting taxes. And naturally, you know, it's an affront. He's trying to assert his independence. Men, Ahab is dead. Your father is dead. I, I paid taxes to your father. I can't continue to pay taxes to you. So he revolted and stopped remitting taxes to the succeeding king. Of course, the succeeding king ignored it and didn't do anything. Then that king passed on. Then his brother, Joram, now took over as king. And that one will not take this nonsense. So he decided to fight so that he can regain control of Moab. Now, if you look at the geography, you have Israel on this side, and then you have Jordan, and then you have Moab across Jordan. And then for you to get to Moab, either you cross Jordan or you go through Judah. And then from Judah, you enter Edom before you can assess Moab. So for some strategic military reasons, it was necessary for the king of Israel to, en uh, to enlist the support of the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. And that of Edom to be able to attack Moab. So he, he approached Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat agreed. And of course, uh, the king of Edom had to come because at that time, Edom was under the control of Judah. So they were all set and they went for this war. Now, in going around, you know, on their seven-day trip, got to the the valley where they are after seven days, they discovered that there was no more water for the armies to drink, for the animals to drink, and that was disaster 
it meant that they had even lost the war before even starting because water was essential. And the king of Israel, Joram, started by complaining. And in verse 10, you look at the way he complained in verse 10. He said, what? Exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? That's the king of Israel. Then fortunately, Jehoshaphat came in in his own wisdom and asked, he felt that, look, this was time to turn to God. You see, this is very instructive. You have two kings responding to the same situation differently. And the question that I leave you with, when you are faced with a situation, how do you respond? How do you respond? Do you respond like Joram? Or do you respond like Jehoshaphat? Do you, is seeking the face of God your first pot of call? Or you start by blaming God? Or by getting frustrated and getting unduly agitated? But we see two responses here. And it helps us to be able to learn from this. But beyond these responses, it just shows us too human helplessness. That as human beings, we can become helpless so quickly. The three armies so quickly couldn't find water. Not from rain, not streams from ground, no water. So as human beings, we can come very quickly to our wit's end. We can come very quickly to our wit's end. But where do we go to for help? For Israel, it just shows their state at that time, how far they are from God. And how far their kings have led them away from God. But again, it points to the fact that as human beings, we can very quickly get to our wit's end. And here we saw the three armies at their wit's end. And we saw the responses of the two kings. But I'm happy that Jehoshaphat was there because he turns attention to God for leading and for help. He turns attention to God to call on him for intervention. And it's interesting too because Jehoshaphat's request points to the fact that Israel had deviated so much from where they were when David was their king. In the days of David, 
if Israel were preparing for a war, David will carry the priests and the prophets along. David will inquire of the Lord. But it shows how quickly a nation can drift. But it also shows that it shows how quickly we as individuals can drift if we don't watch it. It shows how we can drift if we are not careful. That's why when the Bible says, let he that thinks he stands, do what? Take heed. List what happens. Eh? He falls. We to take heed. List we fall. Because Peter tells us that, look, the devil is going around like a roaring lion, seeking what? Who to do what? To devour. So there are all kinds of distractions to pull us away. And that's what happened to Israel. Israel, through their kings, got distracted. Ahab went and married Jezebel. She brought in their gods. Bam! And before they knew what was happening, they got distracted. And look at their predicament today. I pray that we will not get distracted in Jesus' name. I pray that we will maintain our focus. Now that was the predicament of Israel. And everything came to the fore at this war. Came to the fore at this war. But thank God for the wisdom that came through Jehoshaphat, who then suggested that, look, when we are at a crossroad like this, and when we are faced with a difficult situation, it is now time to seek the mind of God. So are you faced with a difficult situation? What options are you trying out? Or are you seeking the mind of God on the matter? Are you seeking to know the mind of God on the matter so that you can do the mind of God and you can allow the mind of God to lead you? Or, or are you trading blames like Joram did by accusing God and saying, God, why did you bring me to this situation? Why, why, why did you bring me to this situation? Why, why am I here? And why am I in this family? Why am I in this country? Say, why was I not born in America? You know, you, we, sometimes we throw accusations at God, just like King Joram did. But is that the solution to the problem? Is that the solution to the problem? It doesn't solve the problem. You don't accuse God. You don't accuse God. Like I said in the first service, in the general service, I know some people who specialize in just accusing God. When they see somebody who is richer than them, they complain. They complain. They will say, oh, why, 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 why are they poor? And then they accuse God for making them poor. Meanwhile, they are more comfortable than many other people. 
you know, more comfortable. I pray that the Lord will help us. Then they went to meet Elisha to seek the face of the Lord. And then Elisha told them that the Lord was going to provide water, but beyond water, that God was going to give them victory. And that takes me to preparing for divine blessings or miracles. We need to prepare. And we see in this story that after the word of the Lord came to them, the armies now had to prepare. They had to prepare for the divine miracle that was going to happen. And that showed they believed the prophet's message. So they started digging pools, trenches in the valley so that when the water comes, it will collect. They started digging trenches. And then the question now for me is, what is your response to God's word? You know, the armies, when they came back and told them that this is what the Lord has said, so we need to dig trenches in the valley so that when the water comes, some of them can say, ah, what trenches are we digging? Where is water going to come? And they can act in unbelief. Are you with me? They can act in what? Unbelief. And refuse to dig the pools and the trenches. But we're told here that the armies went to walk and dug up the trenches. Dug up the trenches. They were ready. They prepared for the miracle. Brethren, this year of supernatural miracle, if you want to receive your own miracles, you need to prepare for it. If you don't prepare for it, you won't get it. And we're told that the following day, what happened? Just like uh, Elisha told them that there will be no wind, there will be no rain, but supernaturally, water, God was going to provide water and fill the trenches in the, in the valley. And exactly as the prophet said, the following day, there was water. And all the trenches they dug were filled up with water. There was so much water that they had more water than they needed. They had enough water for themselves and they had water for their animals. Now, can you imagine for a moment, what do you think would have happened if they did not dig those trenches? What do you think would have happened? Maybe somebody will say, oh, okay, because they did not believe, maybe water will not come. But the water may come and there will be nothing to collect it. Because when the water, and then the water will perhaps flow away. I pray that your miracle will not pass you by. I pray that because of lack of preparation, your miracle will not pass you by. I pray that you will not be blind to your miracles when it comes. 
I pray that the Lord will keep you sensitive and ready. And the armies were prepared. For me, that is remarkable. And that's why for us as a church, we must prepare our people. We must deploy our capabilities, our efforts and prayers to make ourselves ready to be blessed. We must, through faith, also ensure that there is full assurance that these blessings will come. And that's why we come up with teams like this to help our people to be sensitive to God's move and to prepare them for his supernatural intervention. That's what the church does. And that's why we talk about these teams. And that's why we teach and prepare and encourage our people, encourage our members to build devotion and build on their relationship and work with God so that they are prepared. I pray that the Lord will not meet you unprepared. I pray that we'll be prepared so that we can fully harness the benefits of God's miraculous blessings in Jesus' name. And then, as we get prepared, it's also important for us to know to recognize God's sovereign ways of acting. God's sovereign what? ways of acting. And I've used the word sovereign deliberately. He's sovereign, so you can ask him questions. Are you with me? When something or someone is sovereign, it means that you don't question his authority. He has an overriding, overarching authority. So, God's sovereign ways of acting. He has it. So it's important to bear this in mind. In this instant, he provided water. You know, he provided water. But how did he provide it? Maybe if Elisha had not told them that, look, there will be no wind. You know, when it's about to rain sometimes, you know, you see wind. And move the cloud. And if someone tells you that, oh, there will be water in the valley, without telling you that there will be no wind and no rain, your natural expectation will be what? That rain, right? But in this instance, God decided. It was not like Elijah's case. You know, previously in Elijah's case, when he dealt with Ahab, you know, God showered rain. He poured it from the clouds. But this time around, it was a silent and mysterious manner that God filled the trenches and the pools. He filled it. He filled them. So God has his own sovereign ways of acting. God is not tied to tradition and time. 
as you and I are tied to tradition and time. God is not tied to tradition and time. And that's why when you pray and you are expecting God to move in your situation, please don't try to stereotype God. Don't try to put God in a jacket. Don't tell God that, yes, you know, the bro that I want to marry, he must be this, he must look this, he must be tall, he must be uh, handsome, he must be this. No. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. God has his sovereign ways. Because God has a long-term view. You only see the moment. God sees your entire lifetime. And God in meeting your needs, you only see perhaps a small fraction of your need. God takes a divine scoping view of your requirement. So when he delivers the solution, he delivers a solution. Are you with me? That's what God does. So God is not limited by tradition or time. And in setting time frame for God, God is not bound to walk by your time frame. You can tell him that, yes, God, I want this thing done in this month of January. If in his infinite wisdom and in his scheme of things, he, believe, he wants to do it in January and that's the best for you, he will do it in January. But if it happens in April then that is the best time for you. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? When they sent for Jesus, their brother Lazarus was sick. And when they sent for him, Jesus, did he come immediately? He didn't come immediately. In fact, he first of all relaxed, he took his time, and waited two days he finally got there four days after. Four days after. Four days after. Whereas they wanted him to just heal their brother who was sick. This time around, he had to resurrect the guy from what? From death. So what they needed and what they asked for was healing from sickness. But what they got was a resurrected dead man. Are they not two different things? Eh? Are they not two different things? So we need to be mindful of this as we seek the Lord and look up to him for supernatural miracles in this year 2022. Our role as man is just to accept what God, the miracles that God gives to us in gratitude. In gratitude. So that we don't complain. Because if you notice, even in the story of Mary and Martha, you notice that when Jesus was approaching Bethany and Martha walked up to him, 
What did she say to him? She said, oh, master, if you had been here, my brother would not have um, died. What is she saying indirectly? Hmm? He's complaining that he did not come when he's supposed to come. You know? And um, Jesus just looked at her. And then the dialogue continues. And then the sister Mary came and said the same thing. It's obvious that they did not understand. Because they had their own expectations of God. But God had what he wants to do. Because miracles are about God and not about us. They are about God. God has a greater stake. And he does them for his own glory. And then he went and said, look, take me to the, show me where he was buried. Show me, show me the tomb. And he got there and he said, Lazarus, come forth. I pray that the Lord will help us to connect to this in Jesus' name. And as I round up, just a few learning points as we think about God's miracle. You know, the very first one is, when we look at the events of 2 Kings chapter 3, is the remarkable abundance of the supply. You know, is the remarkable abundance of the supply. When God provided the water, he provided so much, enough to meet their needs, and enough for them to feed their cows and animals and other animals. When God responds to you, his supply can be abundant. And his supply will be abundant in Jesus' name. But again, you need to also bear in mind that when the Lord supplies the abundance, the abundance is not meant to service your extravagance. The abundance is for his own purpose. Are you with me? You have a stewardship responsibility even for the abundance. Some of you may learn jobs that they will begin to pay you salaries that uh, you get monies way beyond what you need. This is the time to begin to ask God, Father, these resources that you are entrusting to me way in excess of my need. How do you want me to apply these resources and let the Lord lead you and guide you so that you will be a faithful steward of the resources that is entrusting to you? That way, you will be a beneficiary of even greater supernatural miracles that would even be more abundant supplies because the Lord can trust you with more resources. He can trust you to do the right things. He can trust you to further the cause of his kingdom. And the Lord is looking for people that he can trust. He's looking for people that he can trust in this youth church, that he can entrust the riches of his kingdom to. Do you want to be one of them?
The Lord is ready. It's a small thing for him to do. The greater responsibility is your ability to be faithful stewards. And that's what the Lord is searching for. I pray that the Lord will make you faithful stewards in Jesus' name. The abundance of his supply. And, that's, and, and it applies to us, even for us as a church. The Lord is ready to meet needs. To meet the needs that are in the church. To meet the needs of everyone here. It's not a big deal for God. And I know that the Lord will answer our prayers in Jesus' name. And he supplies to cover the divine scoping of our needs. You look at when the kings went to him, they, their concern was water. But prophet uh, Elisha had to tell them that, look, water, that's a small thing for God to do. He's going to do it. But beyond that too, he's going to give you victory, which was even a bigger need. So you may go to God with a cup, and the Lord is telling you that, okay, you brought a cup. Oh, fill this cup. But I'm going to put a whole drum filled by the side because that is what you really need. That will be the way the Lord will respond to you in Jesus' name. The Lord is going to scope your needs and is going to respond to your prayers, not based on your requests, but based on his own scoping of what your needs are and within the context of the larger work that God is doing. Because God is at work. I just pray that the Lord will help you and will help all of us in Jesus' name. And when the Lord begins to deliver on these supernatural miracles and begins to bless us, it's very important that we manage these blessings within the scope of God's boundaries, the boundaries of his laws. These blessings are meant to help us to be more devoted to God, not to drive us away from God or take us away from God. For many of us, when the Lord begins to answer our prayers, that's when you begin to cultivate different friends that will begin to influence you negatively, that will begin to take you out of the confines of your friends who are God-fearing. Because you now feel that, oh, we are big boys now. So, you know, you want to operate in some different circles. But the test of it is to be able to test and see whether you can be entrusted. And mind you, as God gives you one miracle, he sees how you respond to it, how you manage it. That determines whether he can entrust you with larger Miracles. Are you, are you following me? Because when God gives you one million and you can't manage it well, are you sure he's going to give you ten million? Are you sure he's going to make you a billionaire? I have my doubts. But I pray that the Lord will help us to key into this and help us to be faithful. Because that was what happened to the armies in this instance. That was what happened to them. When you read the story, you see. Because, you see, what eventually happened was they were succeeding, they were having victory. And then they got to one of the cities. 
And there, the armies, what happened was the king of um, Moab, seeing that, look, this was a crushing defeat for him. He then went and got additional, his armies were, they had ravaged his army. So he went and got 700 men. And then around the city wall, he offered his son, who was the heir to the throne. That is, his son who was to succeed him as king, he went and slaughtered him as an offering to their god, Chesmos. And after that, those seven men, 700 men now attacked to fight back the Israelite army and the, the army of Judah and so on. And they came so ferociously that the armies of Israel, Judah, and Edom had to bid a retreat. And they bidded that retreat and withdrew and went. They went back. Ordinarily, they should leverage on the victories and close out on that war. But they withdrew. What happened? It's not because the king of Moab offered his son to his god, Chesmon. God, our almighty God, has no business with Chesmon. Chesmon has nothing to do. But what happened was, the armies of Israel and Judah, after the victories they got, they disobeyed God. Because, you see, one of the commands in Deuteronomy chapter 20, if you go there, verse 19, there's a clear command that when they go to war, they should not destroy farmlands. That whatever happens, don't destroy farmlands. And then don't destroy trees that produce fruits that you can eat. Because I reckon God, you know, in giving those laws, they were laws that are designed to preserve. Knowing that, look, even after the war, people have to eat. And that's why he came with a command. It's a command that must be obeyed. So you don't destroy farmlands. You don't destroy trees that are fruit-bearing. But the armies of Israel and Judah, they disobeyed that law. In the excitement of their victory, they started destroying farmlands and cutting those trees. And of course, God was not pleased with it. And that was why they couldn't get the final victory. Are you following this? So, as the Lord gives you miracles, know that you must operate within the confines of the laws of God. Don't get carried away by the initial victories, initial miracles. There are greater things to come. Those victories should draw you closer to God so that you can relate more closely with God. You can be faithful and the Lord can trust you with greater miracles. Did you get that?
the Lord will bless you all. The Lord will prosper the works of your hands. This year, 2022, the Lord will do great things in your midst. And I pray that the Lord will give you wisdom to manage the miracles and the successes that will come your way in Jesus' name. Let us rise and pray. I want us to close our eyes as we begin to talk to God. Just close your eyes and begin to talk to God. I don't know what the Lord is ministering to you, but I just want you to begin to pray and ask that the Lord will help you. What, what areas are areas of need for you? Are your pools ready in the valley for them to be filled? Or you are not even prepared at all? Or you do not even recognize it? But before I go into all of that, are you, is, do you have anyone here you have not at any time given your life to Christ. And that is really where to start from. That is the first supernatural miracle that you want to take place in your life. And this is the time to take that step and establish that connection with God. You are here, you want Christ to come into your life. Otherwise, we can't be talking of all the other supernatural miracles. That needs to happen because it's a platform that all other ones can rest on. You want to ask Jesus to come into your life. All I need you to do, whether you are on site or you are connected to us online, I want you to just put your right hand on your chest so that we can pray with you. Just put your right hand on your chest where you are so we can pray with you. You can ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life and ask him to come into your life. You forsake your sins. You repent and forsake of your sins and ask Jesus to come into your life. Tell him to come into your life so that you can become a new creation, so that you can be ready. That is, that is the very first preparation for this supernatural miracle that we're talking about. And that is the best way to start. If you are online and you are taking that decision, please text to the number on text forgiving to the number on the screen, and one of our pastors will call you and minister to you. And if we have anyone here, just place your hands on your chest. Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you. Ask Him to forgive you your sins, and that you repent, you confess, and that you forsake your sins. And that you want Jesus to come into your life. You want Jesus to come into your life and touch your life and make a difference in your life. And let Christ take residence in you so that you can begin a new life. And the rest of us, I want you to continue to talk to God and ask that the Lord will minister to you. Are there areas you need to prepare you need to prepare for God's intervention. You need to prepare for God's blessings. Ask that the Lord will help you. And he will. Father Lord, I bring your children before your throne of grace. And I just pray, Lord, today, 
that father you meet them at the point of their needs you know where they are where they are i pray lord that father you help them as you prepare them for all that you want to do and accomplish in their lives in the course of this year and in the years to come i pray lord that none of them will be unprepared when you pass by i pray that lord none of them will miss out on the blessings of your miracle in the name of Jesus. Thank you, eternal rock of ages. Glory, honor, and adoration be unto thy name. In Jesus' name we have prayed.